0: We are acknowledging a rhythm of the year where we say, look, it, it, it is good and it is right for us to say as we, as we approach Easter, it makes sense for us to say, God, what is it you want to do, right? As we prepare to celebrate, as we, as we live in this, this time of, of really it's reflection and then we're going to talk today about recalibration, this, it's this opportunity that we have to, to think and see the world differently, to listen to what God is trying to teach us and say, well, we want in on that. And so you could look at it because it's the season of Lent. We're acknowledging that, that historically the church has paused for these 40 days leading up to Easter and, and, and said, God, what is it you want to do? And so for us, we're, we're packaging this, this time of reflection, not just as a, as a passive time of reflection, but as a moment to say, there are things that we're fighting for, right? There are things that we long to see in our lives. There are things that are worth fighting for, and so last week we introduced the concept of maybe for some of us so you can actually begin to imagine that that we can fight to win. That that we're not just in a in a kind of a string of of defeated kinds of moments, but what would it look like for us to to lift our eyes a little bit and to realize that that God is fighting on our side and that we can fight not just to, to like to the point of endurance, but to the point of victory. So I hope for your small groups as you've gathered together, I know for our small group we had some great conversation around the, this idea of what does it look like to, to choose our battles well? And so this morning we're continuing in, in this time of reflection, but we're talking about this, this idea of recalibration. Because really what, what we're talking about with, with Lent or with, with this series, it's the fight, that what we're really talking about is, is the fruit of what that looks like, that, that time of reflection or that, that time of fighting for what really matters and the fruit of that is, is a new way forward, or at least it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a better way forward. It's a process that you could understand as, as recalibration. The problem with recalibration, I mean, it's like, it sounds great to say, I wanna be recalibrated. Right? I understand that, that there are things that, that, are, that my life has been marked by, that I've been focused on, that my attention has been on, maybe some patterns and, and rhythms. Maybe it's for some of us. We have our eyes fixed on the wrong things. And so the longer we have our eyes fixed on those things, the longer we're, we're chasing after one thing, then, then we find that our lives tend to orient around that thing. Right? There are certain behaviors, there are certain things that we put into place that we say, if I'm chasing after this, then the longer I chase after this, the more my life becomes calibrated around that thing. Which means if we're talking about recalibration, then we have to recognize first that, that we are calibrated to something. Right? There is something that, that in our lives that we are calibrated towards, and, and the reality is that that's the thing that, that typically means that we get what we've always gotten. Right? It's, it's there's something that we, we're chasing after, there's something that we're focused on, there's something that, that we're building our lives on or building our lives around. And the longer we do that, the more we find that our lives are marked by that thing. The, the problem is we're, we're calibrated to something. And so we get where we are. We always get right where we are. And we always get what we've always gotten because of that. And so recalibration, as we talk about the fight, because it's, it's something we have to fight for, because there's tension, because it's difficult, the, the idea of recalibration is, is more than just one step. It's really two steps. And the first step is it's hard because it's decalibration, which I'm not sure if that's actually a word. I know when I typed it into my notes, it was like the red line in the word processor that's like, this is not a word. You need to replace it with an actual word. And I'm like, there has to be a word for the idea that I was calibrated to something. And I'm going to take a step back and then I'm going to calibrate to something better. Right? So this, this process is a two-step process. It's, it's decalibrated. It's, it's, it's coming out of alignment with whatever it is that we've been in alignment with to, to pause and prayerfully reflect and say, God, is, is, is my life calibrated to the right thing? And then we then move forward through this disorienting process of decalibration, right? All of a sudden, it's like what we were chasing after, what we valued, the things that, that our lives have been marked by are, are all of a sudden not the same things that, that they'll be marked by moving forward. And so it's whole, this whole disorienting process that we go through. But, but the reality is we, we have to keep going through the decalibration into what we would call this morning recalibration, which means now we look to something better to a new way forward, and we say, I'm not just gonna like, look at this thing, but I'm gonna orient my life around it. I'm actually going to, to, to allow God to calibrate my life to, to this new thing, this, maybe this new way of thinking, this new way of seeing the world, this new way of understanding the relationship that I have with God. For us to understand what this looks like, we can look back. Um, we, can, we can look back to some of the old stories and in some ways what we're gonna discover this morning, I'm just gonna kind of give the surprise away right now, what we're gonna discover is you talk about Lent or talk talking about fighting for something that matters leading to a new way forward. What we're gonna find is the new way really is the old way. Right? It's really looking and saying, what can we learn from those who have gone before us, from those who have lived their lives well, that, that have allowed God to, 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 ch- to change what they value, to, to change the way they live, to change the rhythms of their lives, so, so they move from I'm calibrated to something to now I'm, I'm recalibrated around something that matters. We're gonna see this play out in the life of a man by the name of Abram, who would later be known as Abraham. We're gonna, gonna see that, that, that the, the way that he lived this, this old way, thousands of years ago, really is the, the thing that we're called to live toward now. We look at this story that, that is really the, the story of the root of the people of God, right? This, this family that would become this, this, the, this nation that would be the people of God. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we hear the story of Abram, who would later be known as Abraham. And his story is recorded this way, the Lord, had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, right? We'll get to why that's so significant in a minute, but he said, I will make you a great nation. I will, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, so Abram went, As the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran and he took his wife Sarah and and his nephew Lot and all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the the side of the great tree of Morah and and Shechem and and at that time the, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and, and pitched his tent and, and the Beth, uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. What we see in this story is this tension, this, this life, the thing that we celebrate about Abraham or about Abram and as he became Abraham, we become known as Abraham that it's a journey of faith. It's a journey of, of letting go of a, of a life that's calibrated around a certain way of living and saying, I have heard God speak and now my bullseye is different, right? Now the thing that I'm chasing after, what I want most out of my life is different. And so he gives up these hard things and um, in, in some ways he's giving up really for, for, a, for a man living in that time, the, the culture that he operated within, the, 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 the way the world worked at that point, what Abraham was asked to give up was literally everything, right? Because here he was in this, this place where his, his family was, the only real meaning that, that he would have had in his life would have been what was handed down to him and, and what he would hand down to others, this, this idea that he's scratching out a life in this very difficult place and hoping to leave it just a little bit better so that those who come behind him would, would be able to go a little bit further, to be able to, to make something of a nation. And then God speaks and says, Abraham or Abram at this moment, it's, it's time to let that go, right? It's time to, to chase after something different. And it's a disorienting process for him. Here he is having to make a decision when, when really what his life has been marked by, like everybody's life at that point was marked by, these are families who would become nations. And what God is speaking with this invitation really is saying, Abram, what kind of nation is your family going to become? Is it going to be marked by the stability and the safety and the security of what you have now or is it going to be marked by something better? Marked by this act of obedience, but the reality is what was, what was being asked of Abram was, was more than just something that would impact him. This was a decision that would, that would impact his family for generations because they would have had accumulated um, possessions and accumulated kind of infrastructure in the place that he was. And now by, by leaving all of that and moving on, that, that he was setting his, his offspring and his descendants back in comparison to other families and to other nations. The God says, will you trust me? Right? Will you take this next step? Will you, will you follow as I lead? That this decision that, that, that God was, was asking Abram to make was not just a decision for him or not a risk just for him and Sarah, but it would be a decision that would impact their families, their family for generations. They were invited to make a decision in faith that would change the course of their family for generations. And now, then years later, Paul is writing in the letter that we have in our New Testament of the Bible that is called Romans. He's writing to these Roman Christians and, and he's looking at these people who, who are trying to figure out what it looks like for the, to, to live in the way of Jesus. And Paul, like what we just talked about earlier, says this new way forward, this way that Jesus has, has invited you to, to, to live is, is really, it's, it's an old way. He's looking at these people, and he's looking at the, the stories of those whose, whose lives became the foundation in some ways of the, of the movement, and then he's looking at, at these people, and he's saying, so here's the, here's the gap, right? There's, there's something that separates these, these two groups of people. He looks at Abraham's life, and he looks at the, the, that story, and he looks at the people that, that he's writing his letter to, and he says, there's a gap, and that gap is, is marked by faith, right? It's the, the difference between, between where they're at and, and where they should be. So he begins to tell them this old story that would give them a picture of what the new way forward actually looks like as, as he's describing what this looks like. He says, will you fight for this? How can they bridge that gap between where they are and, and where they should be? And that's faith, because for Abraham, it was faith that made, the, made a difference in actually how he lived, right? That, that his faith was what we would call active faith, where it's faith that's applied to the act of living, but what didn't just change how he lived, it, it changed where he lived. Right? It didn't just change where he lived. It changed where he lived because it changed what he valued. Right? This is the process of decalibration, that disorienting process of, 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 of having our eyes moved from, from what's in front of us to, to what should be in front of us, to what we should be focused on. That God was giving Abram an invitation to a better life, one that was even better than the good life that he had, right? that, that he had in his father's household. But the question is, would Abram accept the invitation? Because it's an invitation that can only be accepted in faith because there was, there was nothing tangible in front of him that would tell, them, tell him that it was a good idea. And Paul says, this is what it looks like to follow. This is what it, what it looks like to, 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 to remember what it is that we're called to, to a faith that doesn't always make things easier. Right? We wish it would. Wouldn't it be easier if every decision that we made in faith, every invitation that God made just, just made things just fall together without any kind of tension, without any kind of pain? but it's a decision that would echo across generations, so much so that here we are in Soldatna, Alaska in 2020, on a snowy, we lost an hour of sleep last night, Sunday morning, and we're celebrating the same story. We're looking at it and saying, for us there's probably a gap too between Abraham's life and our life, and that gap is is probably only, only going to be bridged in faith. And we can allow Paul's story as he's writing to the, the, the Romans, as he's writing that in some ways for us to be reminded that, that don't forget what we signed up for, right? that, that we're called to live in faith, that, that there are things that, that, are just, uh, that are true about this life that, that require the letting go and the taking hold. And so in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13, Paul is writing and he's telling the church this story. But he, before he tells the story, he starts to lay the theological foundation for what he's talking about, right? He says this, that, that it was not through the law, here's the great tension, right? Because the law would be behaviors between like getting things right. He says it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that, that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith that it's not through the law, it's not through what he had earned by behaving in a certain way, that, that it wasn't through his possessions, it wasn't through his work, it wasn't through anything that he did, but it was through this faith that, that, that bore the fruit of righteousness in his life that in some ways what we're talking about is, is his inheritance, his inheritance through faith, through his faithful response to God's promise that we don't remember Abraham because of his possessions, right? He was, by the way, a very successful rancher uh, he, he managed to, um, as he followed after God, create a, a, a significant amount of possessions around himself. But, but what we celebrate isn't his possessions, isn't what, what he built through all of that, but what we celebrate is this act of obedience, through, of his faith. He says this in verse 14, as Paul continues to write, he says, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, then, then faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there's no law, there's no transgression. So for us, for those of us who who would depend on the law, um, for for if it worked that way, then it would be about us doing all of the right things, that it would be about us cleaning ourselves up and behaving in certain kinds of ways and and following all these sorts of rules to to make sure we checked every box and then we would become, and it wouldn't be an error, you're you're not an error by earning things, you're an error because you, you receive by who you are. So it doesn't work that way for us because if we have to earn it, then it's not an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. You, you, you get an inheritance by, by that connection that you have with that family line that we inherit by living the same kind of faith that Abraham had, that, that, we, that we have this tendency, there's this gravitational pull towards, towards trying to earn it, which means that faith means nothing and the, and the promise is worthless because we start trying to change the rules of the contract. For us, it's going to look different none of us, I don't think, are dusty, old, Middle Eastern ranchers. Um, So what that call will look like, it may not be the exact call. It probably won't be the same exact call with the idea of what God calls us to. To say, I have been calibrated through the way I've lived. I've been calibrated by what I've had my eyes focused on, that that I've been living towards a certain thing and my, my invitation this morning that, that God is speaking as I go through this process of recalibration, as we all go through this, is, is, to, is to have our eyes move to something different, to be recalibrated. and It becomes about our posture, that we follow in the same kind of way that Abraham followed, that, that it becomes about our response and our approach to faith, not just in doing the exact things that Abraham did. Verse 16, therefore, Therefore, so if it doesn't work that way, if it's not about the law, then then it has to be about faith. If it's not about works, then it has to be about faith. So therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is father of us all, right? Right? A promise comes by faith because it's a work of God. It's not a work of man. It's, it's a work of God and not man. It's, it's something that can be handed down as, as we become members of this, this family of Abraham that, that he would be seen as the father of all of us. That it's inherited, not something that we earn in every generation. And not only, right, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have, have the faith of Abraham. So it's not just about those who, who, um, who, who might, we, we might consider to be religious insiders, but it's bigger than, than that. Because it's about everyone who places their faith in God like Abraham faith placed his faith in God. Paul continues, as it is written, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. And then Paul says, so you talk many nations. This, this is what it looks like. He, he is our father in the sight of God and, and whom he believed, the, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that we're not. That we are of the line of Abraham when we operate in the way that Abraham operated, when we live our lives in faith. That becomes our heritage. That becomes the thing that we inherit. And then we remember. We remember that we follow a good God. That it's a God who gives life. That raises from the dead. That, that calls into being things that we're not. This God who is in control of what he has created. And we look and we remember. We remember our heritage. We remember the, the inheritance that we have. And then we remember who it is we're chasing after. And then against all hope, verse 18, against all hope, Abraham believed, or in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been, had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Our family over the years has had, a, had a, a phrase that we have used in those moments where things you know, weren't a lot like everybody else, and the fact that, that every step in our journey has not always made perfect sense. Or can we just a- agree that, that that happens for us? And there are these moments in life where it's like, despite all evidence to the contrary, I think we're on the right track. Does that make sense? Where it's like, I'm looking around and, and in my human perception and the way that I would weigh the evidence that I can, that I can gather for myself, it looks like everything on the, on the scale is weighted in the side of this does not make sense and God is not in control. But then faith, right? Believing rightly about God and then allowing that to, to change our perspective. It's like saying, despite all evidence to the contrary, Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed, right? That, that despite maybe everything that, that he could perceive in terms of physical things in front of him, that the things that made sense as he tried to figure it out, it's like here he has, he's got a good thing set up, but then God's calling him to something different and he's being recalibrated and in some ways he's being like decalibrated and disoriented. But against all hope, Abraham Abraham, in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, because without weakening in faith, verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, right? That he, that he, that he looked and said, here's the reality, right? It's like, here's the, here's like the pros and the cons and all that kind of stuff. And, and he looked at that and all the evidence to the contrary that, that he was perceiving. But, but without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts, Right, to, to have a clear look at what's in front of him and, and recognizing that his body, right as he talks about being this promise that was put in front of him to, to be the father of many nations, that, that he's looking and saying, I don't know how God's gonna do this because I'm old. right I just don't see how this is gonna work. That, that he was about 100 years old and that his wife, her, her womb was, was also dead. And so he faces the facts and he looks at what he can perceive and what makes sense to him and, and the way all those pieces fit together. And then he says, but then here's the thing that God has placed in front of me, right? Here's the thing that, that, that God has asked me to do, and so he, he has, to, has to weigh these things in faith to move forward this process of decalibration and recalibration, this, this legacy that's worth fighting for. Verse 20, yet, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, Right, as, as he leaned in, as he, as he took the next step, as, as he trusted, as, as he weighed all the evidence that was in front of him and said, I don't care what all the evidence looks like, I'm gonna say that I trust God. And so he does not waver and his, his, he was strengthened in his faith and, and then he gave glory to God through his story, being fully persuaded that, that God had the power to do what he was promised. he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And in the words, it was credited to him were, were written not for him alone, but also for us so that we can understand what righteousness actually looks like and where righteousness actually comes from. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And there it is, the difference. For Abraham, he was only looking forward to a promise. Abraham was, was only looking at, at what might be and for him, there may have not been much evidence at all that would suggest that, that following what God was calling to follow after was a, was a great idea. But then Paul, in the middle of the story, as he's inviting this, these Roman believers to, to, to follow in a different kind of way, to, to look at the world differently, he says, but then Jesus, right? If you ever wanted to, 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 to understand what God is capable of doing, look at what Jesus did. If you ever wondered what our lives are supposed to be calibrated around, if you ever wondered what the, what the point of all of these things is, look to Jesus. It was credited to him. We're not written for him alone, but for us also. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Right? When we would maybe be tempted to try and figure out a way that we could justify ourselves before God. When we start to try and make the kinds of arguments that would say, well, if you kind of like, um, like, kind of like grade us on a curve or grade us in comparison to other people, then, then maybe we could figure out a way to, to, to like feel like we could stand before God have any kind of chance of, of being accepted by him. And then, and then Paul says, but Jesus. We are justified, not by what we have done, right? Not by, not by the, the things that we have done to pull ourselves out of darkness, but by the work of Jesus Christ, working on our behalf, making the way forward for us, that we are justified by him. So as we move forward... Right, as we look at the fight that's in front of us, as we, as we go through this journey of, of decalibration and recalibration, as we, as we say, what is it that we want more than anything else and, and are we willing to fight for it? The question is, how do we get there? Because we're gonna have to fight for it. Right? What makes this a fight isn't just that, we, that we, we, we learn and we listen, what makes it a fight is that we've gotta live it out in a world that, that isn't easy to live this sort of thing out, in a world that, that living in faith is, is, is utterly foreign to, to those around us where people aren't going to understand. But the good news, the good news is that we don't fight alone, that we don't fight empty-handed because we have grace. We have grace that meets us. We have grace that meets us right where we are when we don't get it right. The good news is grace met us right before we ever got it right that there is grace that meets us, that, that would allow us to, as, as Abraham did, to, to face the facts without fear. To say, look, all this evidence, all these things that are, that are coming my way, in some ways it's almost sensory overload with everything that I've gotta process in this moment, but, but there's grace, right? That we can face the facts without being driven by fear, that, that, that grace meets us when we need to go deeper. Right? When we talked last week about the shallow places where we fight so many of our battles that, that, that maybe when it's not even just a matter of fighting, but it's about God deepening us to, to realize that, that he meets us where we are. He meets us in our shallowness. He meets us in our brokenness and, and meets us in that place and then, and then prepares us for the next step that, that he works to deepen us, that he works to strengthen us, that he, works, he, he, he meets us to, to get us ready for what's next, for the journey and the battles that are still to come, grace that meets us. We have faith, faith that moves us. Faith that moves us when, when it would be easier to not move, right? When it would be easier to, to stay put right where we are, where it would be easier, where, where we might even be satisfied to simply stay. We have faith that when God is calling us to a thing that we take that next step, that, that, we, that we, we weigh the things, but then we, we place on the scale this faith that we have in the God who calls us forward. And in some ways, it takes us probably to places that we wouldn't go on our own, right? If it was just about the map that we would draw for ourselves, then, then faith wouldn't require much of us because it would be, well, this is where I want to go and this is what I want life to look like. But it takes us to where we wouldn't go on our own. So if we've taken steps with Jesus, we can begin to, to, to look back and have this start to make sense, to, to look back and say, look, I was, maybe it's like just a few days, maybe it's a few weeks, maybe it's a few years that we've been walking with God and we can look back at the moment that we started to follow him, and we got serious about, about living, our, living our faith out, and we look and we say, I am, I'm in a place where I never would have been. Right? That's that recalibrated process. I'm looking at, at this moment, and it's like, I would never have reacted this way. I would have never made that kind of decision, that I would never have oriented my life in this kind of way. Because we look and we say, I'm, I'm different now, because there's faith that moves us forward. There's faith that takes us to places where we wouldn't go on our own, that, that it's, not just, I mean, it's, it's not just grace and faith, but there's hope that sustains us, that we have this, this, this reality of the journey where our perceptions of reality would deceive us, where we look and we say, I'm just, I just can't make sense of all of this, but then, then there's, there's hope. Right When the promise seems far away, when our perceptions of reality deceive us, there's hope that helps us move forward that in that disorienting middle way that, or the middle moment that, that helps us keep moving forward. And then there's a story that echoes. There's a story the old way that has been handed down generation upon generation upon generation. The faith as Paul is talking to the Romans about the story of Abraham and then they, they took his story and then, and then allowed God to, 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 to add their story to it. And so we have the same opportunity as we look and, and maybe for some of us, we need to, to write in the margins of our Bible. If we're not sure how this passage applies to us, we could just simply write, it's my turn. Right? What does this look like for me to live this out? For, for me to recognize that, that, that here's this moment for Abraham and here's this moment for, for, these, for the, the, the Roman believers that, that then now it's my turn my turn, what am I gonna do with the moment that's in front of me, this, this, this thing that I've inherited from those who have gone before us and maybe there's some things that we leave behind and, and, and we take hold of the gold that's, that's part of the legacy that we have and then we add to that our stories. And then what we hand down is this legacy that, that lasts because our stories are part of a bigger story that we look and we say, well, so for this moment, for this lap that God has asked me to run, then, then what is my life supposed to look like? Because the reality, just like for Abraham, our legacy, our legacy isn't the things that we leave behind, right? Our legacy is the lives that we live, right? We will never leave a legacy that's different than the life that we've lived. Does that make sense? And so that means the decisions that we make, that means the things that, that our lives are, are calibrated to become the things that we leave behind. And so the question is, are we going to choose well? Right? If our legacy, if our legacy isn't what we leave behind, it's how we live, then then what is it that we're leaving? Right? How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we can be confident confident in the inheritance that we're leaving, that, that we can play this, this faithful piece in our part of the story, that, that we can leave a legacy that will last? I said, there's two steps, right? You talk about what, what are we gonna do about it? How, you know, what's, what's my next step? There's, there's two steps. The first one, as I said at the beginning, is, is decalibrate. It's decalibrate. And I wrote in my notes, and if you need to write this in your, own, in your notes too to kind of give you some peace, I, I said the first step is a doozy, right? The first step is hard because it's disorienting. The first step is, is full of tension. It's, it's full of, 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 of the difficult things that, that come with, I'm, I'm being pried away from the familiar, we do this by moving from survival to thriving. This is the question that, that if you've been around me at all, the, the thing I'm obsessed with is, is this idea that we're always living towards something. The question is, are we living towards something that matters? What's the bullseye of our lives? What's the thing that we're chasing after? And then, and then everything else falls into place once we know where we're heading and then you know, figure out where we are and then how do we, how do we bridge that gap? this is the destination or bullseye question, moving from survival to thriving. What is it that we want? What is, it, what is it we're trying to chase after? Or are we just simply saying, well, this is the best I could hope for, which is spiritual a, a, a spiritual poverty mentality that, that just says, well, it's never going to be better than it is. I'm never going to get any further along that other people might, but but I'm never going to. It becomes about meeting our own needs that survival mode because survival, if you think about it, for Abraham would have been much easier if you're talking just simply surviving. It would have been easier to stay in his father's household. It would have been much easier in his homeland. But, but God was calling him to thrive. God was calling him to, to, to do something in his story that would, would echo into our lives. And we make a choice about our direction. That's what the recalibration process is. Lent, this season, this, this opportunity to reflect on the fight that's ahe- ahead of us is, is an opportunity to recalibrate ourselves. What is it that we really want? That, that, what is it that we need to do to adjust ourselves or adjust our lives so we get there? So we make that choice, and then we make those daily choices that support it. Step one, decalibrate. Step two, recalibrate. And this step is, is a step about focus. It's about hope. Because here we are, as we look to Easter, as we talk about recalibrating, we have to let the cross be our hope. We have to let the cross be our hope that, that we actually build our lives on the only foundation that lasts, the only foundation that matters. And for some of us, this means, and this could be something that could, could give life in a way that maybe we can't even imagine yet, but, but we could actually allow those, those, that feeling of conviction, the feeling of shame, the feeling of guilt, be something that drives us closer to the cross not further away right to to say my hope is in the cross, that 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 even when I don't feel like I'm measuring up, even when I know I don't get it right, even when I when I recognize how broken my life is and the mistakes that I made and all the ways I react and, and act and, and get it wrong, that, that we would be tempted to, to say that's a thing that, that means I have to, to 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 hide myself from the cross or, or move away from the cross, but to recognize that that in this moment we have an opportunity to say, I'm gonna let the cross be my hope. And so so in that moment where it feels like something is not right, I'm gonna say that's an invitation to take a step forward. That's, that's God God's showing me that it's not right. Then He's offering me the next step to allow the cross to be our hope, to, to let the sense that something isn't right be the, the, the recognition that, that that's an invitation that, that God is drawing us to Himself, that, that there's a decalibration that's happening. We say, This doesn't make sense. My life is, is not working out like I'd hoped to. Something isn't right. And God's saying, Yeah, but there is hope. And that's what the cross is. The cross is hope. So for us this morning, can we have the kind of courage that that says, let's let the sense that something isn't right be the way that, that God draws us to himself, not to be the thing that drives us away. Can we lean in?